Hi, this is High Priest of Conchu Ray from Into the Night, the Moon Knight podcast and fellow collective member. You are listening to Resurrections and Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast. Enjoy. Welcome back to Resurrections in Adam Warlock and Thanos Podcast. I'm your host, Al Sedano. And as you might have noticed from the title of this episode, we're doing another one of our supplemental episodes where we take other characters that are important to the Adam and Thanos mythos and we just look through some of their other issues briefly just to see things about them. And we are continuing with what we've been doing for a while and looking at comics that feature death. And this time we have a weird one from way back in the day and when i thought well that was back in the day hey back to the bins paul what are you doing <laughs> i'm so, doing great thanks for having me on yeah so i figured hey let me have paul on yeah so, it's it's uh <laughs> this you know you said this is a weird one and it is yes but it's it's kind of fun i you know i mean as far as much fun as death can be yeah well it goes with what i've said before on here about the difference between the Marvel death and the DC death. And, I mean, these are technically not non-canonical deaths. You know, they're not considering this the same, you know, as, like, appearances of the same death that Thanos is. But it's all published by Marvel, and to me, it still works because DC's death is very much like, I have a function, I'm here, you're all eventually going to die anyway, even the immortals, I'm not worried about it. You know, in the end, everyone's coming to me. Marvel's death is more like a supervillain. You know, Marvel's death is always more like, there's not enough people dead. I'm going to bring Thanos back to kill more people because there's too many people alive now. Mm. You know, but which is but what Marvel's happens. death, from what I've seen, also seems to be, I think you can, you know, headcanon it to always be the same character. And you're just seeing that same character in different forms. You know, that, that death can take whatever form it wants. You know, even even in in the Thanos appearances, sometimes it's a skeletal figure, sometimes it's a woman. Yeah, yeah, but it just seems there seems to be more instances of Marvel's death, even in you know the official in canon ones where death is more petty about it, like wanting people to be dead. Yeah, and that kind of goes in with this story. I, I think I think death is my favorite character in this particular story too. Oh, death is great because death has got a sense of humor in this book. Yeah. But we give me a second, people, and I'm going to drop in a quick synopsis for All True Crime number 37 from, what is it, cover dated February 1950. And then Paul and I will be right back. All True Crime number 37, Robert Marone. All creators unknown except for Pencils, Charlie Thompson, Editor, Stan Lee. This issue had a photo cover and was cover dated February 1950, 
on-sale date October 19, 1949, with a cover price of 10 cents. There are no known reprints. Robert Marone, the kid from Detroit who wanted to be known as a public enemy. In the heart of a great city, there are all types of human beings. There are law-abiding citizens and the criminals. Fortunately for civilization, the criminal element has always been the minority. But in the slums of Detroit in 1940, a shadow of a lawbreaker fell upon the streets. A vicious, untamed creature whose heart was filled with violence and whose soul was black with crime. This was Robert Marone, the cop hater. Born in the slums of Detroit, January 3rd, 1924. Died in the back alleys of Detroit, January 5th, 1942. Death watches as 16-year-old Robert Marone, known to his friends as Slugger, jumps someone and using a baseball bat beats them for their money. Taking the money to a girl he knows, Maria, who has no interest in him until she sees the money. All this time, Death is watching and encouraging Slugger in his behavior. Officer Thomas comes to question Slugger about the recent mugging and, Rob and he takes off, hiding in the alleys. Officer Thomas goes to Robert's parents, hoping to find him and keep him from getting into worse trouble. But Robert has other ideas. After going through his stolen money, he decides to take over a local gang. He sends Maria to find Miggs, the leader, and set up a meet. However, when Miggs arrives, he finds Robert waiting on a rooftop, and a well-placed brick on Miggs's head means there's an opening now for a gang leader. All these actions amuse death. Robert takes over the gang, as the members are ready to follow any tough guy, but eventually decides he needs a gun and goes home to take his father's. His father refuses to give it and gets knocked out, but his mother takes the gun and forces Robert to turn himself in. He spends the next two years in juvie, but unlike many of the others there who want a second chance, he has no interest in changing. Robert is released on his 18th birthday and is happy to get back to his life and gang, and death is happy as they are waiting for Robert. Detective Thomas, formerly Officer Thomas, visits Robert's parents, hoping he would be home, but only finds the older couple. Robert's mother is now blind. He heads out to look for Robert and stops at a cafe. Meanwhile, Robert has met up with Maria and then leaves to get some money, deciding to hold up the same cafe. Realizing there's a cop there, he shoots and misses, and Detective Thomas gives chase. Robert takes to the rooftops, knowing the neighborhood well, except that he did not know that the hardware store had been torn down to make a playground and plummets off the rooftops to death's waiting embrace. Back at Robert's home, Detective Thomas stops by one more time to read a fake letter from Robert, thanking his parents for helping him turn his life around, but he has now got a job in South America and had to head out right away. Robert's mother believes the story, but Robert's father cries as he reads the newspaper with the headline, Mass Bandit Killed in Fall Fleeing Detective, Slugger Marone Dies in Plunge After Attempted Holdup as Detective Thomas chases him. Just when you thought it was safe to hear a podcast promo. Brave and bold comic books JL May Brave and the Bold comic books JL May JL May Brave and the Bold comic books JL May the annual podcast crossover event celebrating the Justice League is back. 
and we're covering the 2007 Brave and the Bold series that started with Mark Wade and George freaking Perez and ended with J. Michael Straczynski. Throughout the month of May, participating podcasts will release special episodes on issues in the run. It all kicks off in the Overlook Dark Knight podcast. Follow the event on social media using the hashtag JLMay2023. Coming this May. JLMay, do 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 do. Brave and the bold, do 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 do. Comic books, do 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 do. Mephisto, hey! That it? Is that what you want? Things I do for this show. And we are back. So that was the story of Robert Marone, who was not that bright and kind of a dick. <laughs> he was more than kind of. Okay, yeah, more than kind of. He's a real dick. But I, I think the first thing that jumped out at me was, you know, you know, looking through that they say that's, you know, based on a true Well, actually, first, at the top of the first page, it says based on a true story. Then at the bottom, it says, all names and places in this true-to-life story are fictitious. Any similarity between actual persons or places and those used in the story is purely coincidental. <laughs> so how could it be based on a true story and yet purely coincidental? I'm sure somebody saw an article about some kid who died who was a thug. And it's like, hey, I can write a story about this. I, and that was the next thing that jumped out at me as I'm looking and I say, okay, born January 3rd, 1924. Died January fifth, nineteen forty-two. So he was, you know, two days beyond eighteen years old when he died. And I'm thinking, he was a public enemy. And then I saw, no, he wanted to be known as a public enemy. Yeah. So, you know, he wasn't that good to be a public enemy. Yeah, he's, he, he, didn't, he's, so he didn't do too well. He got taken out too quickly. You well, know, you, you know, as you said, he's a dick, but he's also kind of stupid. Oh yeah. But also, one thing I always remember when they say based on a true story is, remember, both the movies Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre are based on the real-life killer Ed Gein. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, both are based on a true story, but, I mean, you can't get more different than Psycho and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I, I've learned to take it with a grain of salt anytime they say something's based on a true story. Uh and the first point where that really jumped out at me was when they had, uh, I can't even think of the, the book where, where uh, not Angels and Demons, the other the, the other book. Da Vinci Code. Da Vinci Code. Uh, and there were people who were like, oh, no, I believe that's all true. And I was like, you can't even believe what's in the newspaper now. But you're going to believe that this all occurred 2,000 years ago and that it's totally documented. Please. That's so, that's the beauty of when they mix in some real stuff with that. It's kind of like Neil Gaiman's Sandman, where he mixes in you know real people with the fictional stories. Yeah, but when people take even even biographies on you know in the movies and things like that, and they treat it as if it's you know gospel truth, I, I just kind of roll my eyes and say you know you, you can't trust what they're showing you as being absolutely true. Sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. But don't you know. You can't ever just sit there and accept it. So the fact that this is based on a true story uh, could be as, as simple as they heard there was an 18-year-old kid who got killed, you know, uh, trying to rob somebody. Yeah. And then they came up with a story. So it's based on that. But it doesn't mean that is the story. Exactly. But, you know, it, it works well for their cut on the cover where it says, all true crime. And then you got... Uh, 
at the top it says editorial consultant Gene Thompson, MD psychiatrist. Yeah. So, so I think that's meant to give it some gravitas. Yeah, I'm thinking of like some of the early Golden Age stuff. I think it's like early DC where they would say like we have a you know consulting psychiatrist or consulting persons who you know read these books and make sure this is the top quality for kids. Yay. <laughs> Well, I mean, this this would still be pre uh, pre comics code, so that there was no no big rush to try and you know get parental approval because this they were coming out with some wild stuff at this point, and this is you know I mean this is a violent story. Oh yeah, I mean he beats this. I mean on the first page he's beating some guy up with a bat. Yeah, and, and, and like it's it caught me off guard right away because the guy is much bigger than him and says you know. Don't be a chump. I could break in too. And then the guy just, you know, the Marone just beats him senseless. While while Death is looking on, laughing. Yeah, he's saying, "Good boy, Slugger. Good for me." And the close-ups of Death's face, like like on that last panel on the first page, almost looks like a kid in makeup. Like it's a friend of his hanging out, just encouraging him. I was thinking of. Uh... What was, what was the demon? Pazuzu in uh, the first Exorcist movie, where they, every yeah. once in a while they have a flash to the face, and that's kind of what it what it what it, what it reminded me of. So it, you know, I got a little bit of a chill from it actually. Yeah. So that, so then you know he, he he beats up this guy, and then you know what's this Maria like? That this this is the kind of thing that turns her on. Yeah, that she's like, go away. He's like, I got money. She goes, oh. Well, never mind. I like you. <laughs> what a charming guy you are. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, I mean, his first real thing he's done, I mean, he wants to be known as a tough guy, but obviously he hasn't done really anything yet until he knocks this guy out or beats them up or whatever he does to him. We don't know how bad it is. And the cop finds him and runs. And so instantly he's now in hiding. Like day one, he's caught within 20 minutes. Well, yeah, he's at least, you know, become uh, a fugitive. Yeah, and then, but then, you know, I mean, and the guy knows exactly who he is. He goes to see his parents. You got to feel sorry for the parents. Yeah, you got to feel sorry. I mean, I feel sorry for them, but you also, like, I mean, it's almost like a nature versus nurture question. It's like, okay, this kid's 16 years old, so, like, how did he go bad, so bad, so fast? Like, was he born a psychopath or was, uh, I think it's, you know, was dad beating the crap out of him every day? I, I don't think, from the way the story is told, I don't think the father was beating him up at all. But I do, you know, I do often think about that nurture versus nature thing. Uh, and what I come down to is, though, I've seen many, including my own, uh, kids who both, you know, brother and sister or two brothers or whatever, that grow up in the same household and they still develop, you know, very, very distinct personalities. Doesn't mean one is good and one is bad. They can both be good people. They can both be bad people. Yeah. Uh, but but they are different. They have different likes, different dislikes, you know, and, and sometimes even different values. So, you know, it, it, I think I think the reality of it is there's some extent of nurture and there's some extent of nature, and they both are influential on it, you know, because then you also have the influence of the of the kids' friends and schoolmates and coworkers and whatever. Yeah, and he's obviously hanging out with pretty bad people. Yeah, he's you know he's looking to take over the mob uh, yeah. or the local the local gang. I don't even know if you call them mob. And then so he, so he sets up the meeting with this guy uh, Miggs. And <laughs> what exactly great. does he throw down at him? It looks like a giant brick. 
Yeah, that's what it looks like. It looks like just threw a cinder block or a brick or something at his head. But, but you know, I mean, from the size of it, you'd never, one guy alone would never be able to do anything with that. From the size but, of it, Mick should be, like, squished. Yeah. And then he just takes over the gang. They're all like, yeah, okay, you're in charge now. I, I do I do like this. Uh, it says, these hoodlums are stupid. They didn't care who led them as long as he talked and acted tough. It's like, <laughs> it didn't matter if he was good at it, just as long as he acted like a tough guy. That was all that they wanted. It's like it's like the thing they say about, like, Respecting like respecting fake strength. It's like it's not you know it doesn't have real strength. It's just as long as he pro- makes him think he has it. That's all it counts. And then he, he goes home and then he does he actually yeah he actually does hit his father. I was gonna say does he hit or does he just take a swing at him? Yeah yeah. Him and his father have an argument. He punches his dad, knocks him down to steal the gun, and then and mom holds the gun. Mom up. gets the gun and, and brings him to the police. Yeah. Yeah, mom's got some guts. Now, is it just me, by the way? And this is one reason I was hope, you know, I kind of was siding on the whole uh, nature thing as opposed to nurture thing for him being bad. Because is it just me or does she kind of look like a certain aunt from Marvel? A very she, famous aunt. She does look like a famous aunt from Marvel. But later on in the story, when she's blind, she looks like a certain Madame Webb. Mm-hmm. Who, who... You know, in fairness, actually, also looked like a certain hand. It's actually funny. Uh, this thinking about that led me down a thing. Thinking about how this is almost like a reverse Spider-Man. You know, story it's, a bit. I mean, he doesn't get power. You know, like superpowers, but he does kind of get the power. You know, some. He does feel like he has power. You know, it, it could be a what if story. It could be what if instead of Peter Parker, Aunt May and Uncle Ben raised the burglar. Yeah. Yeah, because it is a reverse. Because here's the thing, I was thinking about it, because it's been said before. Actually, John Wilson said it once on his uh, Avengers Inspiration show several years ago, which was like based on like you know the Marvel you know comics based on the that the movies were based on. Right. And it was him and his daughter, and she pointed out, it's like this is kind of a supervillain origin, except the twist at the end. Because I mean, think about it. How many origins involve the person getting powers and saying, "I'll show them all," and that's the hero. Yeah, Spider-Man's no, the only one that does that. I mean, that's a mole man line. I'll show you all. That's very true. That's that's a that's a good catch by John Stewart. But you know, except for the fact that what happened to Uncle Ben puts Peter on the right path. Yeah, it gave him perspective. This guy doesn't have that at all. He doesn't care. I mean, he has no perspective. I mean, mom, like you said, mom mom has guts. You know, mom takes him to the police. He goes to juvie. And apparently this juvie is doing its job in involving, you know, rehabilitation. Like these guys are like, we want to try and get our lives straight. And he's like, screw you all. I'm going to just going to be a tough, you know, mobster. Yeah, he's not he's not willing to do, you know, his assigned work there. Yeah, this is the guy going, you know, that's been sent to court. He's only at rehab because he's court ordered and he doesn't care. And he still has like, you know, a secret stash of, you know, booze and drugs up with him at all times. Just he's just doing the stuff he has to just to put up appearances. And the moment they're not looking at him, he's causing problems. And the girl's waiting for him. It's like, what relationship did you have with her? You said, hey, look, I got money. And instantly she's like, you're faithful, you know, mall. Pretty much. Like for two years? Yeah. It's, it's, I guess she saw a potential in him that, that wasn't like reality. And then they come home and it's Madam Webb. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, mom's... he doesn't come home. 
No, the cop goes to the house. Yeah. Yeah. The cop wants to check on them and this, you know, check on him, see if he's there. It's like, no, he's not. It's like, well, I'll keep an eye out for him. And of course, this guy again has bad, you know, Slugger has the bad luck. Like last time of getting caught right away. I'm going to rob this place where there's a cop drinking (laughs) who's on duty. And he, I'm going to shoot at him and miss. That was surprising. I thought I, I really thought the story was going to be that he killed the cop. You know, yeah, next. it almost. I mean, I had to reread that look at that panel because that panel almost looks like he hit him, but he missed point blank. I mean, he's just he has this drive. He just he he's like the Ed Wood of <laughs> criminals. You know, he wants to. He loves it. It's his life. He's just not that good at it, but he thinks he's better than he is. I mean, a lot of people like that. Yeah, I'm sure we all do. <laughs> but it's kind of sad. It's like, you're not really that good. You never, you know, you can't aim. And you run out of guns. You run out of bullets. And then the cop's chasing him over the roof. And he's like, okay, I know where I am. And the star hardware store is next. And I'll jump to that. Ah, crap. The hardware store got torn out. <laughs> yeah, I loved that twist. That's a great O. Henry ending. Now, just to, to back up a little bit, though, because as soon as he misses point blank, that's followed up by the cop missing point blank also. That is true. But, yeah, I, I got a big kick out of him thinking, you know, he, he thought he was, again, like you said, he's not that good. He thought he was smarter than he is. He thought he could, you know, okay, I know that I could just jump to the hardware store. And he jumps and then doesn't realize that they turned it into a uh, playground. Yeah, because he hasn't been home and he's been away for the last two years, so he hasn't bothered check, you know, to check to see if things have changed since he was gone. Yeah. <laughs> but I do love that panel of death, like going doing like the finger thing. Like, come here, come here, come on, Slugger, I'm waiting for you. <laughs> and then I, I, I liked, you know, I, I liked the way they ended it. Though. Yeah, yeah, the cop tells the mom, oh, you know, because like you said, she's blind. It's like, oh, he sent a letter care of me that he got a job in South America. He's not going to be home again, but thank you for turning his life around. Of course, the sad thing is the father sees the paper and knows exactly what did happen. Yeah, so He's not, he's not going to tell the, the mother. No, no. I was thinking about it in my head. I'm like, you know, I wonder if they had life insurance on this kid. Like, yeah, maybe they got some surgery. Sure, I can see they changed their last name and moved to New York. Yeah, that would work. But, you know. We'll do better next time. <laughs> but just, you know, I guess, you know, as a, as a parent and, you know, not to dig too deep into it, but my, my kids are pretty good kids. Uh, but I can only imagine the horror of being, you know, a decent person yourself, and then raising a kid who just goes that wrong, you know. And and I've seen no, nothing as dramatic as this book, but I've seen people where, you know, they've said, oh, you know, we had to tell, uh, you know, this kid, you know, whoever it is, that they couldn't stay here anymore because they were too, too disruptive in the house or whatever. So you know, I mean, I've seen similar things occur over the years, and it, it's it's pretty heartbreaking. So for the cop to do the ending the way he did and, you know, let the mother at least think that the kid turned himself around, I I think that's, you know, a nice ending to an otherwise really downbeat story. Yeah, like they're both trying to at least protect her because there's no reason she needs to know anymore. 
and you give her credit. You know, she's the one who had to pull out the gun and arrest us. You know, bring her son. And right at this moment is where Skype decided to crap out on us and stop recording. Of course, we didn't notice for another minute or two, so we kept talking. Oh well, it happens occasionally. Thankfully, not too much. So we restarted Skype, started up again, and here we go. Where were we? Um, talk. I think you're talking about how the him talking, you know, lying to the mom, basically. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I mean, it, it, overall, I think you know him lying to the mother, letting her think that you know the the two years in prison, which was a direct result of her own actions. Uh, you know, that that was enough to turn him around and, you know, set him off to to lead his life the right way. I, I feel like that's, you know, it's a false ending, but at least it's something that, you know, it's, it's, it's a somewhat happy ending. Exactly. It's the best they can do because, well, kid's dead. There's nothing else they can do for him. I mean, think about, the, like I said, the tragedy. This kid's 18 years old. Yeah. Really? I mean, he like really said, had no life. Like I said, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's a parental nightmare is what it is. Exactly. So at least they kind of tried to shield her from it. And this is the early 50s, at least. So, you know, there's a good chance there's not going to be like a big thing about like everyone calling and giving condolences, hopefully. Yeah. Or, or and you know, there's no Internet. So... With any luck, you know, Madam Webb can go on and lead her life happily. Yeah. <laughs> it's time for us to cover the feedback, and this time feedback is for our last episode, episode 170, MCU 2021-2022, part 3, with John Wilson. And on Facebook, the post about that episode got likes and shares from Magazines and Monsters, Neil Vig, Geekpod, Laura Campbell-Kennison, Kelly Marie, Joe Sedano, Ruth Sutherland, and Bill Bear. And a special thanks to GeekPod for not just sharing it, but actually promoting it, telling their listeners to listen to that, listen to our new episode. So thanks a lot, guys. On Twitter, we got likes and retweets from The Daily Rios, Viet Wynn, Alan Sharp, Jason Snick Venable, Capes and Lunatics Podcast Network, JohnReadsComics.com, Trapped in a World, MetaHuman Hunter 60 Streaming Addict 2023, just Julia Raul and Chris Leiden. We also got a couple likes on our Tumblr page, so thank you to DiamondPunk0963 and I listen to the dark. Now, if you want to hear more from me, you can hear me pretty much every week on the LEG IOMPOD cast. You can find that on the Legion of Substitute Podcasters feed, link in the show notes. And on that show, we talk about the late 80s, early 90s DC Comics sci fi series Legion. That is the title, that's an acronym, and has Viral Docs and Lobo, not Legion of Superheroes. All right, you want to hear your name said here? You have a comment about this episode? Write in, resurrectionspodcast at yahoo.com. On Facebook, like and share the posts. Just type in Adam Warlock or Thanos in the search box and our page will pop up. Follow us on Tumblr, resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com, or of course on Twitter at AdamThanosPod. Finally, this show is part of The Collective. The Collective was started by a few like-minded podcasters who wanted to network in the most traditional sense. It has become a repository for ideas, crossovers, and potential guest appearances. 
And normally this is where I would say you can hear one of the other Collective Show's promos right now. But I'm not, because we actually played that before the show. So instead, you're going to hear a promo right now for Paul's show, Is It Jaws? In 1975, Jaws was released. It is routinely regarded as one of the greatest films of all time and is generally credited with creating the concept of the summer blockbuster. In 1978, in an obvious cash grab, Jaws 2 was released, failing to have lightning strike a second time, but presenting a generally enjoyable film. In 1983, Jaws 3D was released, shamelessly attempting to take advantage of a gullible audience. By 1987, there was no pretense of quality as Lorraine Gary and Michael Caine cashed paychecks for sleepwalking through a pointless and incredulous sequel. In 2016, Paul Spatero created Is It Jaws, in which he and a group of rotating guest hosts discuss new and old movies and place them up against the Jaws scale, which ignores some elements of the actual films and sets forth a rating scale. Jaws, an all-time great classic film. Jaws 2, an enjoyable film with some flaws but worthy of multiple viewings. Jaws 3, a moderately enjoyable film. And finally, Jaws 4, a bad movie. Please join Paul and his guests as they ask the ever-important question, Is it Jaws? All right, well, that was the story of Robert Marone from All True Crime 37, and like we said, Depp's, you know, side, you know, narration of the story. So if people want to hear more from you, Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on the Two True Freaks Network, which if you go to twotruefreaks.com, all our podcasts are there, and we're available on you know, most podcatchers. I do three shows currently. One is uh, Back to the Bins, which is a weekly show reviewing old comics. Uh, the other is a bi-weekly sh- movie review show called Is It Jaws? And the last is a limited series right now that we're doing called The Village People, which is a review of the 1960s show The Prisoner. And we're doing that episode by episode. Yep, and links for that will be in the show notes, people. So just scroll down and click. Bring you right to it. Well, just thank you for having me on again. Uh, well, this is, oh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. Same here. And Dave, this was a weird but kind of fun, but fun issue. Or story, I should say. All right, everybody. We'll be back in hopefully two weeks with, well, something. I don't know what. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. Resurrections, an Adam Warlock and Thanos podcast, is a fan-made production, and no copyright infringement is intended or happening or even understood. The opening music for this podcast is Intro Pompeii by Lino Rise, and the closing music is Dark and Dramatic by DJ Puzzle. Both are licensed by the Creative Commons license. You can find Lino Rise at free-intro-music.com and DJ Puzzle at p
peacelovproductions.com. Links to both can be found on the Tumblr page. There we go, starting recording. There you go. Alright. Doesn't matter who says recording the call, even though I clicked, it says you're recording the call. It doesn't it doesn't matter because it'll show up in both of our exactly. chat windows and we can both download it. Yep, so that's perfect. <clears throat> Alright, well it looks like the dogs are settled down, so that's good. Somewhere. Alright, here we go.